Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following episode contains discussion of suicide and child loss that some listeners might find upsetting. So please do take care as you listen. Inviting another person into your home may seem risky, but for thousands of parents across the UK and Ireland, having an au pair, well, it's a perfect solution to managing a large family. I put this woman in charge of my small children. That's Bonnie. Catherine spoke to her as part of her investigation. But to protect her privacy, we've changed her name and voice. She's in her 40s and lives with her husband and children in Tullamore, Ireland. In 2014... Lucy Hart, a smiley, lively 26-year-old from the UK, had come into Bonnie's life and seemed like the answer to all her prayers. She was experienced in childcare and had lots of stories about her job as an au pair that had taken her, well, all over the world. Seeming like the perfect match for Bonnie's family, they invited Lucy to become their au pair. But in December 2014, arriving home after a long day at work, Bonnie noticed that her children and Lucy weren't getting along so well. And when they sat down to chat, Lucy accused Bonnie's children of something. She tried to blame my kids for stealing her engagement ring and money, which never happened. Lucy was adamant that Bonnie's children had taken her money and jewellery. But Bonnie knew her children. She knew they weren't thieves. It was the beginning of the end of their friendship and would lead Bonnie to question Lucy's other stories which eventually led to a truth that was stranger and darker than Bonnie could ever have imagined. It doesn't really adequately protect intended parents and surrogate-born children. You have pleaded guilty to a very cruel and hateful fraud. I never asked her for references or passport. We cannot believe that anyone can be so callous. When I read the cards after she left, my blood ran cold. I'm Sue Perkins. And I'm Kat Denkinson. And you're listening to Carrie Jade Does Not Exist, a podcast about how one woman who took on over six different identities infiltrated the lives of vulnerable people, lied her way into gaining their trust, and built up picture-perfect personas until she finally got tangled up in her own web of lies. This is episode three, The Surrogate. Now, it's fair to say a lot of busy parents working full-time try or need to find extra help when it comes to childcare. They do, and Bonnie, who we heard from earlier, was determined to do the best for her children, so she and her husband often hired au pairs to share their parenting duties. By having someone on hand to manage childcare, they could ensure that their kids got the attention they needed and they, as parents, got the kind of life they wanted. Listen, I'm, I'm not lucky enough to be a parent myself, but I guess people find au pairs in different ways. Some will rely on word of mouth, you know, parent to parents, hiring a person based on friends' recommendations, whilst others use agencies, au pair agencies. So what was the agency that Bonnie used like? It hosted profiles and CVs of au pairs from all over the world. So parents could basically browse the site and pick the best match for their family. 
As with everything child-related, safety is paramount, and since anyone can be anyone online, the site recommended that parents do a face-to-face interview with prospective au pairs. So that's what Bonnie did. She was so convincing and really lovely in the interview we had. So on paper, Lucy Hart was everything Bonnie wanted. She was experienced, professional, educated and keen to work. And in person, she was even better. In fact, Lucy interviewed so well that Bonnie didn't feel like she needed to ask a lot of questions she'd normally ask a potential employee. I never asked her for references or passport. She was so convincing. If she had, perhaps Bonnie would have found out that Lucy Hart didn't actually have a passport. But at the time, Bonnie was just pleased to find someone so competent. She and her husband hired her on the spot, and pretty soon Lucy had become one of the family. Well, so far so good. She seems genuinely nice. The kids, obviously, here, they just love her. They absolutely did, and she quickly formed a relationship with Bonnie as well. Lucy and Bonnie would often chat about her life and her previous jobs, and she always had an interesting story to tell about the other families she'd worked with. She mentioned she was an au pair for a very autistic kid in Dubai, and that they used to sit in a big tray of baked beans for sensory play. When Bonnie asked Lucy about her own family, she had stories to tell about them as well. She told us her adopted mam, Jane Hart, lived in the States. She said her mam in the States was something to do with smart cars. She said Jane Hart was the main supplier for sandpaper for B&Q. OK, so Lucy's mum lived in America, did something with smart cars and was the main sandpaper supplier for B&Q. I mean, I'm all for a broad reach, but these... these t- I mean, that's a blistering CV. It doesn't add up, does it? Come on, let's, let's be honest. It doesn't add up in the slightest. <laughs> I mean, Lucy also told Bonnie of stories about the man she was dating who still lived in the UK and his two children. When she was with us, she was saying she was dating a guy and he had two daughters. She didn't give Bonnie quite as many details about him, but it was really clear to Bonnie that she loved this guy and both of his kids. It turns out, however, that before meeting this wonderful man, Lucy had experienced a real heartbreak, and she opened up about it one night when they were having a movie evening. We were watching Shawshank Redemption, and the part where Brooks hangs himself, she got up and walked out upset. I paid no attention, then she came back in and apologised. I asked, was she okay? So Lucy had already talked to Bonnie about the man she'd loved before she met her current boyfriend. His name had been Liam and they'd gotten engaged. But according to Lucy, Liam had struggled with his health. He had motor neuron disease and that he couldn't cope and he killed himself by hanging. And Lucy said that she had been the one to find him. I mean, taking this at face value, obviously, this is impossibly difficult. Finding the person you love after they've taken their life. It's incredibly traumatic. But of course, in in relaying that information, in exposing that level of detail, she's gaining Bonnie's trust. She's basically saying, I'm prepared to share this devastation with you. And of course, that's going to provide, you know, deeper connective tissue uh, for the two of them to, to really come together as friends. Absolutely. I mean, Lucy was still quite young when she was working with Bonnie and she was even younger, obviously, when Liam passed away. So I think Bonnie felt kind of protective towards her at this Mm, point. That makes total sense. Absolutely. I mean, she was obviously devastated about it. And Was Bonnie worried at this point that that Lucy might not be okay, that the trauma was too much? She absolutely was. I mean, you know, she was as much as she trusted this woman to look after her own children. She was still aware that she was quite young and she needed to be cared for. I mean, oddly enough, Lucy said to Bonnie that she was okay, though. She didn't really seem too emotionally affected by telling her the story. 
and just kind of dropped the subject and it never really came up again. One thing that did stick out to Bonnie in all these conversations, however, was that Lucy never had any photographs. Right, Okay. so no photographs whatsoever. Pretty much none. I mean, she had lots of stories, endless detailed stories about all the lives, exploits and tragedies of her family and these boyfriends, but didn't have any pictures. And she was also shying away from the camera. She didn't like to be in the photos. One of the few times Lucy was filmed was during the whole ice bucket challenge. Thank you, Layla, for nominating me. I'd like to nominate Jane Hart. <laughs> I managed to avoid that, although I did donate. I did donate, so I, I didn't have to have the uh, ice poured over my face. No, that seems entirely sensible. I did exactly the same thing. <laughs> So yeah, the video of Lucy doing her ice bucket challenge is quite blurry, but you can see Lucy nominating her adoptive mother, Jane Hart, and then squealing happily as the kids dump a bucket of ice over her head. And the rest of the clip, you can see her jumping up, escaping from the kids. They're all laughing and you can really see the bond she had with this family. She's had trauma, but she's fantastic with the kids and that's all that matters. In that moment, she's playing with the kids, you can hear them laughing. Of course, there are worries about the photographs, but maybe it's too traumatic for her to keep photographic evidence. I don't know. Absolutely. And not everybody has photographs. You know, I mean, I do. I have tons, but some people just don't, I guess. And it's not in the grand scheme of things. No photographs is not a huge downside, I think. Bonnie and Lucy's friendship just continued to grow and it grew and grew until Christmas that year when Lucy suddenly accused the kids of stealing her engagement ring and some money. So this feels like such an inappropriate gear shift. You know, you've gone from from really being one happy blended family to a, a very major accusation do we know if bonnie's children had stolen those things as far as i'm aware they didn't bonnie asked the kids they denied it and bonnie believed them because they'd never stolen anything before and they'd given them no reason to think they would you know they weren't that type of child it's very specific so they'd gone in and they'd stolen an engagement ring i mean it's a major accusation uh, it's a horrible thing to, to have your kids charged with. But Bonnie knows her kids and, you know, her feeling is that they would never do such a thing. What, is it, what does it do to, to, to Bonnie and Lucy's friendship, this terrible, terrible accusation? Ultimately, it caused their friendship to completely break down because finding out that Lucy was willing to basically lie about the children stealing stuff kind of tarnished her image for Bonnie, who then began to see this darker side to her sweet, lovely au pair. I suppose... Once that crack appears, it's only one way it goes. It just widens and widens. And you see you see everything then through the prism of suspicion. Absolutely. I mean, it got Bonnie thinking. And the more she thought, the more she realised how many of Lucy's other stories just weren't adding up either. Just how many of Lucy's stories were completely nonsense. And eventually, she began to wonder whether anything about Lucy was real. I mean, again, I want to contextualise this. this. This growing suspicion and... Fear, I imagine, is happening alongside this woman living in the house and interacting with her children. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get more frightening than that. Absolutely. It snowballed and snowballed until one day when they were talking and Lucy just launched into yet another unbelievable tall tale. Bonnie finally decided she'd had enough of these. You know, she was sick to death of these completely nonsense tales and challenged her. Right, and, and, and how did Lucy respond to the challenge? Interestingly, their smiley, happy-go-lucky au pair was suddenly replaced by a very angry woman who accused Bonnie of attacking her and stormed out the room. The ice between them that this created hung in the air through Christmas right up until the 3rd of January when Lucy told Bonnie that she was going on a writer's retreat, left the home and never came back. Did Bonnie in, in any way try and track her down? I think she wanted to, but Lucy hadn't given a forwarding address. She'd left most of her stuff behind in the room she'd been using at their house. So Bonnie basically hung out for a few weeks to see if Lucy had come back, realised that she wasn't coming back, and finally opened this room to clean it out. 
Unfortunately, what she found there completely stopped her in her tracks. Oh no, what did she find? When I read the cards after she left, my blood ran cold. Well, at the back of the wardrobe were a stack of index cards, A4 sheets of paper, filled with Lucy's handwriting. Among the random shopping lists and financial workings out was a document that had apparently been used to plan a statement about visitation rights to Lucy's child. What? Hang on. I I thought it was just Lucy's boyfriend who had children. Well, this is what Bonnie thought too, but the paperwork she now had in her hands told her otherwise. And according to these documents, Lucy had a child, and whilst the child was only named by an initial, it matched the first name of the child Lucy had said belonged to this boyfriend in the UK. Right, okay. So, at that point, Bonnie thinks, none of these stories matched up, but I have let a woman who is not fit or has abandoned her own child take care of mine. Absolutely. I mean, at this point, she was completely in shock. She didn't know Lucy had any children, never mind that she no longer had custody. And what else was in those documents? They were filled with disturbing statements about Lucy's mental health, notes on legal proceedings, stuff that Bonnie had never even heard about. But the most concerning part was a card which said, I stand shoulder to shoulder with the coroner, and I did not murder my daughter. I pray she is at peace. This is just awful. You mentioned, you know, the mental health notes, and it's always in my nature to be incredibly understanding about those who experience mental health issues, anxiety, depression. But this has got so much darker. It really did. I mean, Bonnie said she sat there in shock, holding these cards in her hand while she was trying to process, you know, everything she'd just read. You know, who was this woman that she'd let into her home? Was she dangerous? What was she going to do if Lucy ever came back? All of these thoughts were just whizzing through her head. I put this woman in charge of my small children. I was sitting on the floor and read, I did not kill my daughter. And I just called my husband and he went, OMG. Bonnie eventually realised that she had absolutely no idea to do with what she'd found. You know, she didn't know where Lucy had gone or who she should even report it all to. So eventually she just finished cleaning the room and stored all the paperwork in a box. I sat on this shit for years, but couldn't prove stuff or knew where to look. So this is powder keg, basically, just sitting there. All this information, you know, this this feels like the closest testimony of who Carrie Jade, or Lucy in this case, who she really is. This is. This is a genuine, real interaction with an agency, with an external body. Do we know... From those documents that Bonnie found, what actually happened to Lucy's daughter? Well, that's an entire story of its own. You see, before Lucy, there was another persona, Claudia. Okay. well, after the break, we'll be back with the story of the documents in that box and how they turned the young woman's life upside down. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, before this mysterious woman who had gone by the names of Carrie, Lucy and Rebecca, there'd been another woman. A 23-year-old woman who, in 2010, offered up her services on Facebook as a surrogate mother. Looking for a surrogate on social media might seem odd, but there are literally hundreds of groups, pages and communities dedicated to introducing those who want to be parents to those who are willing to carry their children. So what leads people to choose surrogacy over other fertility options? I mean, I understand there's no easy way if you're experiencing fertility issues, but what is the pathway? There are actually many different paths that lead to surrogacy, as fertility lawyer Louisa Giva explained to me. People can often do it as a last resort after very complicated and difficult personal histories. Perhaps they've been unable to conceive naturally and they've had months or years of unsuccessfully trying to get pregnant. They might come to it after they've had multiple failed IVF cycles and that can be really gruelling and difficult. I mean, on face value, it seems complicated. I mean, how easy is it to set up a, a surrogacy agreement? Does it need to be approved by a lawyer or a social worker or, or, or how does it work? Well, it varies wildly. There are non-profit organisations that match surrogates to parents. But in the UK, a lot of surrogacy arrangements are informal. So there are no contracts or binding agreements, just three people agreeing to create a child together. That feels quite sketchy and that you're basically putting your trust in people that you barely know. How does it work legally, though? I'm going to let Louisa explain that. Surrogacy law in the UK is outdated. It's over 30 years old. And as it stands, it doesn't really adequately protect intended parents and surrogate-born children. And there is a lack of effective regulation. And this causes problems and risks. Because other than medical screening and the welfare assessment of the child, there's no further independent formal checks until after the surrogate baby is born and the intended parents apply to court for a parental order to secure their legal parentage and get a British birth certificate recording them as parents and to remove the legal status of the surrogate. 
So for a parent to take this route, it's a very, very dangerous one. They've got to be desperate for a child. Most of the time they are. And the couple who the next story is about had been trying to have a child for years. They'd suffered through three failed rounds of IVF treatments and a number of miscarriages. But then after searching online forums, they found this amazing woman called Samantha, a former university student in her early 20s. At the time, the couple didn't know much about her. But what they did know, that she was a court-approved social worker and experienced surrogate mother, convinced them she was the right choice. Something tells me they were wrong. They were very, very wrong. But at this point, they had no reason to think anything other than they'd seen. Keen to reassure them that she was the real deal, Samantha introduced them to a woman called Claudia, the parent of her last successful surrogate baby. Claudia then messaged this couple via Facebook, singing Samantha's praises and telling them that Samantha has an incredible heart. She has given us a wonderful gift. OK, we've got another woman there. Uh, in fact, two. We've got Claudia and Samantha. No background. They seem too good to be true. It feels we are right back into that pattern again. We kind of are, aren't we? Unfortunately, the couple were not aware of this, because if they were, they would probably not have given Samantha £1,200 out of their savings. And that's, presumably, that's just an introductory payment. I mean, is that is that normal for surrogacy? That varies quite wildly as well. Because surrogacy is not completely regulated, so technically in the UK, you can only pay a surrogate the reasonable expenses that they need to carry and give birth to your child. And a surrogate can essentially claim whatever expenses they want or whatever expenses they can get out of the potential parent. In Samantha's case, she said this money would cover the costs of the insemination kit she needed, legal fees and some other expenses. And the couple never met her in person, but they took her at face value. Really eager to meet their baby, they paid her and started preparing for their child's arrival. But the baby never came. And then Claudia disappeared as well. Well, surprise, surprise. I have many questions. There will be many answers. (laughs) Okay, good. Good, good, good. As Claudia and Samantha avoided the couple's calls and messages, the couple slowly came to the realisation that they had been duped. Devastated and furious that this woman, who they knew as Samantha Cooks, had taken their savings and denied them the child they wanted for years, they contacted the police. Several days later, police located and arrested a 23-year-old woman at her home in Shropshire. But only one woman, so... uh, Claudia or Samantha? Only the one woman. The case came to trial in October 2011, the following year, and one of the first things the couple learned was that Claudia did not exist. She was... Samantha Cooks. Bingo! Claudia's Facebook profile was created purely by Samantha to make her scam seem more believable. Every time the couple sent and received messages from Claudia they were actually messaging Samantha. And was Samantha ever a social worker? Nope, she was no more a social worker than she was a surrogate mother and so was certainly never pregnant with the couple's child. OK, so a woman's been arrested. What happens in court? Well, the most interesting thing to come out of the court case, apart from Claudia not existing, was a statement from Samantha's lawyer. Even today, when she looks back, she doesn't see offering surrogacy as a bad thing, but she immediately became involved in a deception which she now truly regrets. So even in court, even with that pressure of the legal system upon her, Samantha can't understand that offering a surrogacy that she has no intention of carrying out is a bad thing to do. It really didn't seem like it. You know, she clearly understood she shouldn't have taken their money, but I think that's about it. Well, how did the couple react? Because 
this is their live stream. This is everything they've wanted. You know, it's devastating. It absolutely was. Their testimony was harrowing. They described the financial and emotional trauma that Samantha had put them through as hell. And the wife in particular was like terribly affected by the scam. She suffered serious psychological effects that actually persisted long after the trial. And the trial verdict did nothing to improve this. In the autumn of 2011, Samantha Cookson, the couple whose trust she'd stolen, walked into Teesside County Court to await her final judgment. Samantha had admitted to fraud by false representation. When the time came to pass a verdict, the mood in court was subdued. As Samantha slowly came to terms with the enormity of her crime, the couple simply waited for the outcome. Nothing would change their devastation or undo the damage that had been done. You have pleaded guilty to a very cruel and hateful fraud. There was a great deal of sophistication and deliberation about that deception. Your victims were particularly vulnerable because their natural and unfulfilled desire was to have children. They resorted to what, to some extent, was a last resort. It is little wonder to me that the wife, in particular, having realised that she was misled in such a cruel way, has suffered quite serious psychological consequences. Well, it sounds like the judge at least understands the trauma of the couple and is minded to punish. He absolutely did. And he sentenced her to nine months imprisonment and a fine of £1,890 to be paid to the couple as compensation. I'm actually surprised. She is going to prison. Is that a normal outcome for a surrogacy fraud case? Again, this varies too. Because the law around surrogacy is so woolly, sentencing can be something of a potluck. In Samantha's case, she was sentenced to nine months, but the sentence was suspended. So she didn't do any time? She did absolutely none. And obviously the couple who she defrauded were completely devastated by the outcome, as they told the press at the time. We are annoyed she did not get a harsher punishment. It's just a slap on the wrist after all the hurt she has caused. She's put us through hell. We cannot believe that anyone can be so callous. But why suspend a sentence? It's, she's got nine months, you know, and it's been described as a heinous crime. Well, Samantha sent a letter to the court in her defence that changed the way the judge saw her case. I truly am sorry. Now I am in intensive therapy, I can see that I never dealt with my grief after my daughter's sudden death, and I am sorry this caused me to hurt other people. I hope to resolve my mental illness... This will never erase my mistake, though. Never again will I get myself into trouble. I never want to hurt anyone else again. OK, so this essentially what we're trying to do. We, we, we're playing detective in the sense that, that there are... There's one woman with multiple personalities. And as we get deeper into her story, there are certainly references to trauma. They're not consistent, one of her identities says she lost her husband to suicide. In this particular one, she's saying she's lost a child suddenly. Well, during their defence statements, her lawyers revealed that three years earlier she had actually given birth to a daughter who died a few months later. In this case, she had lost a child and the psychological trauma she suffered was presented as mitigating circumstances for the fraud she committed. And that was the only reason that she avoided doing any time in prison. So presumably that's what the letters that Bonnie had found in the au pair's cupboard had been about. Absolutely. The child's death had played a huge part in Lucy's, Samantha's life and all the personas that came after because before all of them there was just one woman. 
one woman who went on to become Lucy Fitzwilliam, the therapist, Carrie Jade, the activist, Lucy Hart, the au pair, Claudia Bronwyn, the bridesmaid, and Rebecca Fitzgerald, the autism therapist. And who was the real person? Who was the real woman behind them all? That was Samantha Cooks, a woman in her early 20s who, when we meet her in the next episode, had just faced an unimaginable tragedy. Next time on Carrie Jade Does Not Exist. 24-year-old Samantha Cooks from Meal Brace was last seen on Saturday the 21st of September. Barrister Sari McKechnie for the CFA said the mother, who is a British citizen, had travelled to Ireland on a false ID to escape social services in the UK. She was well known for being a compulsive liar. She would always get found out, cry, beg forgiveness. And being slightly more naive in those days, I would do so. If you knew Carrie, or indeed any of the other aliases she went by, and have a story to share, then email us at carriejadedoesnotexist at gmail.com. That's carriejadedoesnotexist, all lowercase, or one word, at gmail.com. Carrie Jade Does Not Exist is an Audio Always original production, hosted by me, Sue Perkins. Catherine Denkinson reported the original story and wrote the series. It was produced by Rafaro Faith Mazarura and executive produced by Elsa Rochester. Craig Edmondson is the sound designer and Joe Meek the editor. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.